Yeah. So as an early stage investor, primarily focused on consumer tech and consumer products, my focus pretty much, I would say almost 80% of the weight is on the founder, uh, founding team. So that is so important at these earlier stages because we honestly, when it comes to the pre-seed seed investments, we honestly do expect them to make a pivot or two. Or if it's like only a year old kind of business to start up, you know, they probably need a few more years to get to that traction, get to, you know, to the market or whatever. But it really is the grit behind the founder that will be able to, you know, indicate whether or not he or she can go through the challenges and the hurdles and, and make these kind of pivots. Um, so, you know, the quality of analysis behind the person is such a huge important factor. But then obviously when it comes to also early stage investing, the market and the business idea needs to have like some sense. It needs to be, you know, viable opportunity. You know, there needs to really be like a sizable, scalable market that they could penetrate into. Um, and they need to have, you know, essentially a, a strong enough team behind them to get it through. This episode is brought to you by VentureX, Denver, Five Points. VentureX Denver Five Points is a modern co-working space, offering its members a shared flexible workspace with a community of like-minded business professionals. Our members include entrepreneurs, established businesses, startups and small to medium-sized businesses. With boutique hotel-style hospitality, you and your team are going to love it here. For more information visit VentureX.com slash locations slash Denver five points. That's venturex.com slash locations slash Denver five points. This episode is also brought to you by Tech Alley Denver. Tech Alley Denver is a place for local business, startups, and entrepreneurs to discover resources, sit in on panel discussions, fireside chats, Q&A sessions, and be a part of business-related topics, network, and dive deeper into their business. Held every third Friday of the month, in Denver's Santa Fe Arts District, speakers and attendees can enjoy free coffee, lunch, and the occasional sponsored happy hour. For more information, visit techalleydenver.org. That's techalleydenver.org. Come be a part of the local business and tech startup scene. This episode is also brought to you by Join and Crowd Digital Contact Cards. Create unlimited free digital contact cards, upgrade for only $1. Create your first digital contact card in under a minute. For businesses with two or more employees, discover Enterprise. Create branded digital contact cards for all of your employees. Easily distribute your latest video commercials and promotions every time your employees share their card. Download activity and contacts by employee and never run out of business cards again. Create your first card today at www.joinincrowd.com. That's www joinincrowd.com. It's time to join the in-crowd. Welcome to the Join In Crowd Business Podcast, Startup Ecosystems, No Stupid Questions, where we explore the hidden side of the startup ecosystem by asking the questions that every founder and entrepreneur needs to know, but may not ask. Here's your host with all of the stupid questions, Joseph Hecker. Hey, Danny, thanks for joining us on Startup Ecosystem, No Stupid Questions. Can you start out by sharing a little bit about you and your firm? Yeah. So, hi, my name is Danny Chow. I'm a principal at a unique VC fund called Sweater Ventures. 
um, primarily focused on investing in consumer tech and consumer products. My background was actually in um, uh, investment banking and consulting. Did that those two experiences for five years. I did my MBA, spent a lot of time in my MBA pivoting and exploring the world of venture and entrepreneurship before making the hop over to Sweater. Awesome. Now, Sweater is a little bit of a, a unique uh, investment group. Can you explain how you guys work? Yeah. So Sweater is, we have a large really North Star mission in democratizing venture capital for everyone. And what that means is any retail investor um, can invest, can literally download an app uh, called the Sweater app on iOS or Android, and then invest in our fund, the Sweater Cashmere Fund, through the app for as little as $500. Um, it's essentially we're trying to open the markets and open the doors up for any retail investors but also have strong competitive advantage when we approach certain companies in, that fall under our mandate. Um, we're essentially crowdsourcing our AUM, but then deploying the capital like any other venture capital fund with our own um, diligence processes, founder calls, et cetera, et cetera. What makes us unique in our general pitch to founders is that we're essentially easy growth marketing. We have a large community behind us that we look for and hope to activate and utilize for any company that we want to invest in. So our mandate is broadly defined as consumer touching. There's some nuance behind it, but generally we'd like to say that we look for companies that anyone will interact with at work, at home, or at play. So obviously for consumer tech and consumer products, that's a very easy angle. So let's say we invest in like clothing or a power brand. You know, we literally have a, a page in our app called Portfolio. We create little cards for every company we invest in. You click on the card for the company. We tell you highlights about the company, stats, et cetera, metrics, why we invested. And then sometimes for CPG brands, at least they've given us discount codes that we can promote across our member base. So it's a way for us to essentially act as a bridge between lot of these portfolio companies and a large community of retail investors. Now, let's say, so, and, and just tie, uh, dive into how it works on the investor side, and then, then we'll dive into how it works on the founder side. But on the investor side, let's say I, I invest with, with Sweater Ventures. Do I get to also throw more currency behind um, uh, an investment that I that I prefer, or am I just putting in and you guys are allocating the funds outward? It is the latter. As of now, there are we do have a product roadmap for wanting to um, open up SP SPVs and sidecars for some favorite investment opportunities. But as of now, how it works is you invest in the sweater cashmere fund through the app. We, you know, pull all that money and then we as the sweater team go out and find companies and invest uh, the money. So ultimately you don't get a, a say in the investments, um, but we hope to, you know, do you right by choosing the best companies uh, that, you know, make sense for, for our team and our network. So, and this kind of starts trickling into the topic a little bit, but um, do you guys have fund managers and, and how are you guys finding funds or finding investment opportunities and then how are you uh keeping a pulse on that that um that company 
Yeah, so we have multiple strong channels for sourcing. Um, one, we actually do invest in funds. So we have a small fund to fund strategy. Uh, no more than 15% of our AUM can be dedicated, committed to funds. But we've made a few fund investments to date, largely in emerging managers, uh, people that we believe and funds that we believe can complement and diversify our own strategy. Um, but when it comes to general sourcing of companies, we have a, a scout network that we utilize really heavily and strongly. We have someone on investment team that manages that network. Um, so we get strong inflow inbound from that community. Um, we also, as, as investors, you know, we, we keep a strong network of other VCs uh, for keeping track of each other's pipelines. And then obviously we go out there and, and look for the best startups through our own channels and methodologies. So this one's always up for debate. And, and I've, I've sat with a, a president and a vice president of an angel fund. And one said you attend events and meet uh, the angels. And that's how, how they discover deal flow. The other said you apply online. So with your scout network, how would a, a startup engage with Sweater Ventures? Yeah, I mean... My email is open to any startup that's interested and, and feels relevant to our mandate. Um, I know that's similar for most people on our investment team. So we're, I mean, we are always in the market and always open and always willing to talk to founders, regardless of your stage. Um, but for more dedicated processes, you know, we, we all, we, for our scout network, literally people on LinkedIn have venture scout for sweater usually listed as um, a position. So don't be afraid to reach out to them. But obviously, you know, like I said, you can directly DM me on LinkedIn, Twitter, et cetera, uh, to find me and, and reach out and send me your pitch deck and I'll happily respond and review. So our channels are always open. Now, uh, just to dive into this, the scout network a little bit further, so are they out attending events? Are they, uh, are they wearing a unique or distinctive sweater? Uh, how, how would people find that? Other yeah. than LinkedIn. So it honestly uh, depends on the engagement level of the scout. So we try to have a very broad network of scouts. We're not concentrated, you know, with only scouts in Colorado or, or Utah, right? We want scouts in New York, you know, South Carolina, Texas, Oregon, et cetera. Um, and we want these, we want engaged scouts. So we actually have a criteria and, and not necessarily a quota, but, you know, if you're not engaging and you're not, you know, working with us or meeting people or, or setting things along, um, then then we will cut you. We, we have a scout uh, community on Slack, a dedicated channel, not channel, dedicated Slack hub for our scouts. Um, so we look for inflow. We look for the, um, the one on the best team that manages the network. He has like monthly calls with these scouts. We do trainings with these scouts sometimes as well. So finding them in person, uh, is, it really is up to the scout, how much he or she wants to promote their attendance at an event or a regional, um, you know, uh, demo day, let's say we've done that in the past. We've like, we've notified our scouts that are in certain areas of, you know, in-person demo days or in-person accelerated programs. And we encourage them to attend. Uh, but, you know, there's no, unless, hopefully they attend and announce to people and meet there that they are a sweater scout. But other than that, there's no, you know, 
we're not stamping them on the head with a, a sweater emblem and saying, hey, like this is a sweater scout. Um, but we are encouraging highly, highly, uh, um, really, really incentivizing them to uh, be, go out there and, and hunt. So, and, and this comes up in a lot of conversations here locally, especially amongst event organizers. Um, what are, what type of events are those scouts going to? Um, and what is their, like, wh what incentivizes them? What, 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 why would they, why would they take time out of their night to go? Or, I mean, I gather it's their, it's their job, so they should be going out, but, but what do, what did, what did they get out of it? Honestly, it's a little bit of a self-selection process. Um, the scouts we want are the ones that really naturally feel connected to a startup ecosystem or want to be even more connected to a startup ecosystem or want to position themselves for a, 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 you know, a job in VC or venture or, you know, in, at a startup down the line. Um, so, you know, we, we are encouraging, we want people that fit that kind of criteria where they feel the innate need and, and desire to meet people and go to essentially demo days, accelerators, startup tech weeks, you know, or other kind of natural gatherings of, of founders. Um, it is definitely, I would say, uh, not, it's, it's not an area where we're providing compensation, uh, at least at this time. So it's, but it is an area where we want, you know, credentials and experience. Some of our investments we've made, I think, believe 18 investments to date, um, about, I would say 25% of them have come from scouts. So, um, it's, it's, it clearly works. This network has direct attributable impact to our own investments. Um, but it's, you know, we're hoping that we can provide passion and, and essentially success stories that these scouts can take with them forward to anywhere they want in their careers within the world of venture and entrepreneurship. Well, one more question on that topic and then we'll, we'll dive in, but, um, mm -hmm. but, uh, so it's come up that like, if they announce themselves as a fund or that they're, they're, they're as a scout for a fund, somehow everybody's just going to drop, drop what they're doing and just like clamor all over that person and that's why it's so hard to to get people out to events uh true or not true <laughs> um i think you know it it, it it could be mixed you know i i think if we um enhance our own personal reputation as a fund you know then i think it could have a lot that might be more true but I know, like, if you're an Adresen or, or a Lightspeed Scout and you go out there and announce you're working with one of those guys, then, yeah, it's probably definitely true. You know, you're going to get swarmed. But for Sweater, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, eventually, Very down cool. the line, down the line, you know, that may, that's, we, we hope that happens, though. So get ready, well, Scouts. Yeah, yeah, we, we'll, we'll have our cameras ready and we'll be ready to, to snap photos of the Sweater Adventure celebrities. Um, uh, Danny, so what is it that you look for in uh, a startup venture, you kind of indicated the founder, but um, but what is it about the founder that you're looking for? Look, it's it's this is probably a super cliche answer, but it depends, you know. Um, since I covered honestly two different worlds in terms of metrics, consumer tech 
which is very broad, right? And consumer products. And I'm going to separate this conversation into those two, you know, how I look at those two worlds. Consumer products is a, a pretty unique investment world. Uh, one, honestly, lot, not many typical VC funds look at consumer products because frankly speaking, the universe of returns for consumer products and brands rarely hit the same levels that you get for SaaS. Because at the end of the day, it's just not as scalable. It's mostly going to be exit by M&A and acquisition. Um, and it's going, you know, we, we, when we look at CBG investments, we understand, you know, the, the returns are probably, we model it as like three to six X, you know, it's, it's, it's not the 10, 20, 30, 50, hundred X. So you're probably thinking like, why even bother investing CBG? And let me tell you why one freaking awesome, right? Like I love, as an investor, investing consumer uh, products, part of my diligence involves sampling and working and tasting and, and either trying these kind of goods, which is just makes my job so much fun. But secondly, it works for our fund model. And I think this ties into our competitive advantage as a fund. So because the universe of returns is a lot smaller for consumer products, what matters a lot for us as a fund when we look at this is the velocity. How quickly can we get the returns? How quickly can we get those exits? And honestly, exits, the pace of exits when it comes to CPG is a lot faster than it when it comes to SaaS stuff. It's not a 10-year horizon sometimes, most of the time. It's usually three, four, five-year kind of horizon, especially at the at the you know series or, or stages we invest in. So even though your MOIC might be smaller on just a pure one. Uh, um, CPG exit, the IRR, the, your IRR can be higher, just the same as like a 10-year horizon exit on a 10x, if it's a 3x. And once it exits, you get to reinvest that money again, and hopefully get find another three-year exit. So you can maybe get two or three exits in, in CPG by the time you get one um, uh, a SaaS IPO or, or something like massive exit on that front. Another thing that makes it essentially, I wouldn't say as sure of a bet, but it, the universe of acquirers in CPG are known. And there are some of the known or unknown secrets about it is the guidelines that these kind of companies look for when they acquire brands are kind of like an open secret. You know, people know in the industry the revenue targets that they need to hit in order to have those strategic conversations. So it's not as un, not as you know unsure if you're doing innovation in a completely new you know way of fintech or something like that, right? It's going to be the monolies and General Mills, Muckers. You know, uh, uh, it's it's a it's a set universe of acquirers, set people in these departments that know and have specific guidelines on what they look for before they acquire the brands, and that makes it a little bit easier when when talking about the exit. So. When it comes to CPG brands, what I want to see, we keep our criteria pretty simple, honestly. Um, at the very minimum, one guardrail, and I say guardrail, not like a like a hard line, is trailing 12 months revenue. You know, we just want to see that you have been in market for at least a year um, and have revenue traction and growth. And why we say trailing 12 months revenue is because for CPG, obviously you can't pivot as easily as you can a tech product, right? And 
as a result, we think trailing 12 months revenue is the most basic indicator of product market fit for our CPG brands. It shows enough month. It shows essentially enough growth that it signifies that there are consumers out there that want your product. And if there aren't consumers, if you're if you're not hitting, you know, if you're not growing revenue across a 12 month period for your product, then you haven't found the product market fit, and you gotta like go back to the drawing board. Um, so that's the very basic. But there's obviously nuance behind that. We do want to see. You know, it's we may not say there's like we need to see X million in revenue, but if you're raising a series A for a brand and you haven't hit a like a million dollars in revenue, then that's obviously a hard to sell, you know. But it really is also tied into then your stage. But at the end of the day, um, trailing 12 months revenue is, is the guardrail. We are open to true white space, truly innovative products that may not have that revenue. And that's why I say guardrail, because ultimately if you're developing entirely new products in, in for like completely boost blue sky kind of market, um, we understand that you know, there's no, there's no like revenue traction, but if it's open space and you're going to be the first product in this market, then that's going to be a, a big bet. And we're okay with that. But ultimately CPG at the end of the day, it's very, you know, you're not very few instances of creating an entirely new, you know, new factor or food form or something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, now, what is it that you look for in that, um, that founder or that team as part of that? So the, the sales are, are incredible. And if a, a founder can bootstrap and get as far as they can uh, and, and acquire more sales and, and prove themselves out better, that's always great. But what, what qualities are you looking for in that investor and, or, or in that founder? And, and I say team, but I find that lately there's less of an emphasis on the team uh, from the founders um, team building side. I find a lot of uh, high school friends or college buddies versus um, pedigree. So can you share a little bit about what you look for in that founder and what type of team this is? Is this a, is this a founding team? Is this a high school or college buddies? Or should they, by the time they get to you, should they start uh, acquiring and attracting um, you know, uh, pedigree? So let me ca caveat what I said at the beginning of this conversation about the team, because when it comes to consumer products, a lot of times a team is almost secondary or uh, um, the third factor, I would say. Because when it comes to consumer products, having a team is very important in getting it off the ground. Like, and I think by the time you have successful trailing 12 months revenue and good growth around that, that means a team is solid enough to get, you know, essentially the manufacturing. That's usually the hardest part and where the team matters the most important at the very beginning for CPG. Can you manufacture uh, your product and get sales? Can you sell to retail or DTC? At our stage, we at this. I mean, at this environment, we prefer omni-channel versus any pure play. But we understand DTC is, is top of funnel. But um, can you get that product out into market? And having a team that understands the operations around it, the people, the, the sourcing of the ingredients, if it's a food or product. Um, getting those co-packer uh, contracts signed, um, that is an indication of a good and solid team. 
which is which ties into the whole revenue portion of the analysis. Now, team comes in when we want the questions around scalability, you know, the penetration. Because usually if you're, you know, if you are a CPG brand and you're raising money, you are basically trying to either um, diversify your channels. You know, you're trying to basically grow. Let's say you're moving from DTC to retail and you need funds to uh, hit the minimum purchase orders by some of these large uh, wholesalers, right? That That is an understandable kind of, uh, source of use of funds and marketing, of course, as well. So the team aspect around these conversations is, are you the founder that can, do you have the right connections? Do you have the right people that penetration? You know, do you know who to talk to? Do you have you had these contracts already? Do you have advisors that, that can introduce you to these kind of right con- connections? Because a lot of times when it comes to the wholesale, it's, it's almost like flipping a switch. You know, if you get to the right buyer at like Whole Foods or, or Target, and they really like your product, they're probably going to put you in pilot in the region, you know, at first, and you succeed there. Uh, and then, you know, they might then flip the switch and boom, you can find yourself in target nationally. But then obviously the issue is, can you scale your own supply chain to handle all those orders? Um, and that matters. And that's when the team comes in, you know, do you have the people that can do that? Do you understand your own supply chain? Are you making the right forecasting and, and do you understand your lead times and stuff like that? Um, so that's where that comes in. But, uh, and I, but I say this is secondary because it's the revenue is indicative of how strong the team is usually. And, but what's more important a lot of times when it comes to CPG is understanding the market and consumer trends. Because ultimately, you know, I personally believe when, if you're investing in a consumer product, you are investing in consumer behavior. And you need to understand how consumers think and, and operate, which is a really, really tall task obviously but I'm not and I, I'm not saying you need to be a psychologist to be a good CPG investor but you need to I think understand trends and ultimately CPG successful CPG a lot of times is about riding the right trends you know it's the right brand at the right time right moment and it's going to be a rising tide that lifts all boats because CPG is so fragmented you know multiple brands can succeed in one market as a result you don't need to be the top brand in the market to have a good exit. You could be number two, number three, but are the trend lines behind you that get, you know, this industry or subsector or, or category up there, you know, right now, everyone loves better for you, right? Better for you alternatives, better for you Pringles, better for you Oreos, right? That's a strong trend. So that's, those are areas that we look for, you know, is, is this going to be a real good alternative to the main thing out there? And, you know, does, does this company have the right team supply and all that to get there? So, yeah. Now, now with that founder, do you find that they were once with a competitor and then they've branched out uh, that they, that they're innovating a, a micro innovation or that they were inspired? Do you also watch for, do they have any sort of um, non-compete in place? Um, as far as the team that they did start out with, are they also from that space? Or um, what are your criteria for kind of that person's familiarity with that space? And then also um, their innovation, is it best that they're, they're looking further down the road saying, hey, in about five or 10 years, these are, this is where everybody's headed and we're ahead of that trend? Or, or, or are you looking for fortune tellers? Or are you looking for people that are, 
that are making micro changes to an existing space. The thing is with consumer trends is they're slow. You know, it's not instant when it comes to, oh, better for you is now where everyone goes. These trends for how consumers operate are long dated. The tail for consumer trends, people generally can see where where people are thinking, where people are buying and what they're interested in. So you don't need to be a fortune teller. You know, you just have to be at the right time, right? You want to be at the beginning of the rise rather than at the end of the rise. Uh, but I'm saying the beginning of the rise is a long period. I mean, this this better for you trend has been in existence in the, in the general, I would say cultural zeitgeist for like years now, right? But it obviously takes years to get a supply chain set up to get a product into market. But if you can have actual goals and jump on these kind of trends as when you see them starting to rise and, and understand like the papers and the various articles talking about consumer sentiment around these areas, then that's a, that's a good way to capture on it, capture it. Uh, but, when, but when it comes to the founders, I mean, I've talked to founders all across the CPG spectrum that have had direct competitive exposure, but also like a bunch of them that have not. And honestly, it really doesn't matter from my perspective, from my seat, um, as long as they are passionate and truly have grit at the end of the day. Obviously, I think from the founders that, that have direct experience or like have done something in like food, like if they're launching a, a, another beverage brand or something and they have experience in like beverage, obviously that helps so much. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean they will be successful because if, you know, they're not, if it's, if they're launching like a sugary soda right now, even though if they have, you know, soda expertise, they're, they're on the wrong trend. You know, that's the wrong trend line to harp on. Um, but if they're launching like low carb, gluten-free, you know, nostalgic kind of better for you, maybe um, a milkshake or something like that, that might be something to look into. Right. Um, and a lot of times I've talked like founders that, notice these kind of opportunities while they're at maybe like a PepsiCo or something. And they, they, they like try to proposition this, but maybe PepsiCo was, didn't believe in at the time or it's too slow, too cumbersome. So now they want to set it off and do their own thing. So those are, those would be, those are great founders. You know, people that saw the beast of bureaucracy or, or the giants operations of, of a big holding company brand. And they think they could, be nimbler, faster, and they may or may not have those connections that, you know, can get them acquired faster and easier. Um, so those are great founders. But with that said, like, you don't necessarily need direct CPG expertise to be a successful CPG founder. Um, but it doesn't hurt. It does not hurt at all. And uh, as long as you have the traction behind you, we can overlook your non-CPG um, uh, experiences. Assuming you can at least surround yourself with people with the right operations experience or advisors. So where do you guys come in on that? So let's say I've got a, a great idea. I've got a cool founding team. We've been able to get this far. Um, we maybe don't have anybody from, you know, of pedigree on our team yet, um, but we've been lean, we've been nimble, we've proven ourselves this far. Uh, we're probably gonna need some pedigree at some point. Uh, what is your role in helping them form their team as they expand uh, and grow? Yeah. So as a investor, I would, I would also, you know, want to 
caveat this in that our what we look for is probably going to be different than some other CPG investors or uh, other investors in general. Um, because one, as a fund, you know, we're not we're not looking to lead at this time. Um, we're also looking for companies that essentially we can explain to our community of retail investors. They may not necessarily like it, but as long as they may understand why we invested, that's the most important. So what we can, I mean, it's it's a little bit of a chicken egg situation, right? Like we want enough traction where it's still a, a, a attractive deal and like it's going to be capturing a good trend and we can still ride that way for X number of years, but it's, it's not overvalued, which is, which is sometimes a, a, a problem when it comes to CBG brands because they usually have a lot of revenue and they, you know, have uh, higher valuations, nominally speaking, because they have more revenue. Um, but what we want to see are like those opportunities where we know we can go in and essentially make an impact with our community. So, um, you know, if you're like a series A and you're at 30 million in revenue or something or 20 million in revenue, it might be a little bit harder for us to make an impact because honestly, our community is not at the stage where we can, can get, you know, uplift and flick a switch and get a million in sales. Um, so it's, it's, we're still looking for opportunities where, you know, a few, let's say, you know, few 20, 30, 40, 50 K over a few months would be a sizable, um, bottom line impact, not bottom line, top line impact for uh, a brand. Um, so that's where we try to come in, you know, that easy growth marketing aspect, because if you're such a big household name already, you're probably a little bit too big for us, but you know, if you may be big in one area, not another, and you're looking to expand in another region, that might be a you know, more attractive bet for an out value add between all parties at the table. What are three tips that you would give a founder in um, uh, either approaching you or getting their team ready for investment? Um, so this is for... For CPG specifically, I would say um, getting a good sense, capital efficiency is is pretty important. You know, for every dollar we invest or have has been invested, have you returned at least one dollar or earned um, generate one dollar in sales? Um, that one to one is is a good earmark. Um, and then when it comes to kind of just like talking to investors in general, regardless if you're consumer tech or CPG, is, is understanding your traction broadly defined. I'm personally a pretty analytical guy. And what I want to see is usually around metrics. So um, that can mean a lot of things. But for like CPG brands, I usually want to see your, if you're in retail, your in-store velocities. You know, how many units are you selling per week, per store? Um and then, you know, obviously margins are very important for brands, but then I want, personally want to understand your supply chain. Supply chain is such a big issue in for a lot of brands these days. Like, are you successfully able to navigate that? You know, if you are a CPG founder and you ha didn't have a single inventory shortage um, throughout COVID, that is a massive signal, you know, like you, I guess, either had a fortune and was able to predict it or like were nimble enough and, and, and really got your suppliers and partners on hand to navigate that those issues you know stuff like that understanding your and then i would say thirdly is having a story um i love 
hearing founders' stories, you know, their passions. Why are you going through all the challenges of being a founder for this specific product? Um, and ultimately, how passionate are you about getting this product out there to market to people? Um, and I love, you know, the more passion you can showcase in, in, in your conversations with me, the better. That's also, I love the storytelling aspect of it. It really binds you to the founder and their passion behind things. Um, Danny, how can people find out more about you and Sweater Ventures? Yeah, so um, people can find me on LinkedIn. I'm just Danny, Q-I-A-O. That's my name on LinkedIn. Um, I have a, a Twitter that's very inactive. I have two tweets. Uh, I joined Twitter in 2009, but fun fact, Barack Obama follows me on Twitter. Um, that was during his campaign stage when he was like just following a bunch of people back. So I was lucky, one of the few hundred K or something like that. Um, so, but I am going to start kicking it back up and hopefully we'll be generating more relevant tweets related to venture entrepreneurship. And um, you can DM me on there as well and LinkedIn. And then of course, um, I, I happily to share my email. It's just danny at sweaterventures.com. Um, so people can find me and just email me whatever pitch decks, conversations uh, as well. Well, Danny, it was a blast having you on Startup Ecosystems and those stupid questions. I learned a lot and that you gave such valuable tips and some awesome insights. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, hopefully we do this more often. Well, that's it, folks. That's another episode of No Stupid Questions in the books. If you would like to be a guest on Startup Ecosystem, No Stupid Questions, simply apply at www.joinincrowdpodcast.com backslash no stupid questions. One last stupid question. Who do you know that could benefit from this episode? Hit the share button and share this episode with a friend or an enemy. Look mom. I made that.